If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. We are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one that's too scared to ink his skin, Jordan. And I'm the one with the severe tattoo addiction, Travis. Welcome to the Hook and Chant podcast. Inspire your players with impro planned moments <laughs> for incredible games. The fuck does impro plan mean? Well, I planned to just say planned, but then I threw a little improvisation in there. <laughs> so you get it now? It seems overly convoluted. <laughs> That's what you do when you DM. You plan something and then you say, oh, crapola. <laughs> I got to twist this around a bit. Good stuff. So today we are doing something a little different. We are having on a very special guest. That's not different, but the part that is different is our guest is the owner of the lovely voice that helps us with all of the intros for our podcast. And she's going to be running a little interview instead of us. So welcome, Rumor. Woo! Thanks for having me. And uh, my introduction, since you both got one, is that I make weird noises when I see cute things. <laughs> That's true. It's her gift to the world. <laughs> Ooh. Puppies. Yeah. Oh, so cute. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I oh show her gosh. puppy stuff all the time. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> so we're kind of hesitant to do this because she will be interviewing some unruly assholes with way too much to say. But this was her idea. So before you turn off this show, because this sounds ridiculous and incredibly egotistical to interview oneself on oneself's podcasts, uh, <laughs> let me first state that A, we're doing this because we didn't have a guest for this week. There was a, a couple of things that kind of fell through and we were unable to secure a guest. And B, there is actually going to be some helpful game player prep stuff. And just gives you an idea of what our style is because we give a lot of ridiculous advice and maybe you want to know who we are? I don't know. Before I take the advice of some some person, I would want to know a little bit about them so I didn't, you some, know. Some they, internet rando? Yeah, some internet rando that's like collecting weird taxidermy and like <laughs> you, you just... You don't know who's out there, so let's build a little trust, a little rapport. Yeah, well, I just want to say that collecting weird taxidermy is cool, Travis. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Take it away, Rumor. Thanks. Our guest today is the brothers, obviously. Welcome, brothers. Hey. Thanks, Rumor. Thanks. Happy to be on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the guest. <laughs> so first off... We're going to be going to the hero stage where you'll hear a little intro that I do. You'll get to know the brothers a little bit better. Then we will go to the strategy state room where you will hear the processes of the DMs. And then Temple of Inspired Hands, all the cool products they use in uh, their games, which I've played in many times. Pretty awesome. Cool. Well, let's get to it. This is the hero stage where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. So a lot of us probably want to know, uh, how did you get started podcasting? Well, Travis likes tech. 
and he bought a bunch of stuff <laughs> with no intention or idea how to use it. We had just kind of run this idea of having a podcast one day. And so after we had a few mics in the house, we said, well, okay, well, let's do it, I guess. I mean, we, we know plenty about D&D and we like everybody, we want to be mouthpieces. So let's go for it. A lot of, lot of Googling how to use the technology. It's kind of an afterthought, really. The, the podcast was secondary to buying the gear. <laughs> and, I mean, I just have an obsession with listening to podcasts, so that certainly helped, too. Yeah, you were kind of more the, the drive and the direction of, you know, what it should be, the format, because you had all of that insight from listening to ass-tons of podcasts. So why did something like podcasting and, and talking about Dungeons & Dragons really appeal to you? Well, we sat there talking to each other about Dungeons and Dragons every day, anyways. Yeah. I can vouch for that. <laughs> a little too much sometimes, perhaps. Yeah, and I think I, at the time we were just like, I spend hours drawing and we were making tables and, and all kinds of other resources for this weird performance art that we do called D&D. And I think there's that aspect to like everyone's game where... Yeah, it's it's a it's a performance art for a very small audience that <laughs> nobody else will ever get to enjoy. It was it, it will always be one of those you had to be there kind of moments. And so you're putting 5 to 10 hours a week into improving these games, why not find a way to share that? Hopefully allow anyone else to actually enjoy the fruits of that labor. Yeah. And I mean, that is part of the thing that I love about Dungeons and Dragons 2 is that it is just an inside moment between you and the people at the table. But yeah. yeah, we wanted to share it in another way. Well, at least the resources aspect to all of that efforts, whether it be the maps or the, you know, the the new plans or the homebrew content that we end up making. And since Rumor lives with us too, we wanted to stop just subjecting her to our constant <laughs> D&D babble. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny, Travis, seeing you on the couch curled up in the weirdest positions, working on maps for hours on end and characters, just putting all of these little details. It's actually quite funny. You should have bonitis from those positions. <laughs> I know. For sure. like, I got a serious case of bonitis. <laughs> how do you stay in those positions that long? I don't know. And then Jordan, you always stay up for hours on end. I don't know how you do it. Like, he'll stay up really late. I'm already passed out. And then in the morning, he'll already be awake. It'll be like 5.30 in the morning. He's already awake. And I wonder, did you actually go to sleep or? He's just a man stuck out of time. <laughs> Truly, a lot of dedication comes from both. God, I want to stop sleeping so bad. So <laughs> no, it's work. such a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess it is. <laughs> Okay, so we've heard a lot about everything that you put into planning the games. Can you talk a little bit more about your other creative passions? Yeah, I spend a, long, a lot of time painting miniatures. We order miniatures, which we'll talk about in a further segment, I think. But yeah, a lot of unpainted miniatures sitting around this friggin' house, and somebody's <laughs> got to paint them. And so I won't I... do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah, drawing. A lot of time trying to convince people to paint your minis too. That too, yeah. Mini painting party. I've gone just about up to 
bringing in someone off the street under the guise of like candy or treats and then just chaining them in the basement <laughs> to paint more minis. That's not creepy at all. <laughs> no, but our, our friend Tyler, I, I recently got him into it and I'm very thankful because I'm like, ah, I'm not the only one who's going to end up with carpal tunnel or something like that from we got a lot of work to do on mini painting and most of my creative efforts go into dungeons and dragons related stuff at this point but i mean we do play a lot of other board games as well we've got quite a collection growing of those yeah we're a board gamer house we're movie lovers music lovers that usual kind of stuff go outside when we need to for our (laughs) muscular health (laughs) Only to maintain the very, very limited uh, athleticism that we have. Yeah, just the minimum and then back to it. We're nerdy hermits. Yeah. What kind of childhood did you have with gaming? Like, did it start out at a certain age? Did you always love gaming? Well, we grew up in the woods without a lot of outside influences. Yeah. And even then, instead of going the learn to be a woodsman route... We just made shit up. We we kind of LARPed before we knew what LARPing was. <laughs> we started our role-playing as weird characters. Feral children in the woods. Our grandfather let us use his wood shop. A um, lot of trust there at mm-hmm. 10. And with, 5. <laughs> yeah, 10 and 5 with grinders and, and uh, sanders to make our swords. Yeah. We would make wood swords and hack and slash through the woods for days and days and days we didn't really play with toys all that much our folks got us toys but we didn't use them as much as we used like dollar store rubber figures and off in the woods stuff we'd find in the woods yeah Yeah. it's just rocks and we we had all kinds of uh storylines going from a log that was a spaceship to becoming tiny miniatures of ourselves and yeah all kinds of weird stuff yeah we had we had a lot of fun with our cousin robin but then we actually got into Dungeons and Dragons when we were <laughs> adults, I'd say. <laughs> what what age exactly did you get into Dungeons and Dragons? My first exposure to it was some old books that we had. So we ended up with uh, 3.5, I think the first, actually the first printing of third edition. And we had access to the Monster Manual and I think a Player's Handbook. And I was fascinated by all the stuff that was going on there at like 14, but I didn't really have a ton of exposure to the actual game. Like I'd never played the game. I just flipped through the books and read and I just liked the lore and stuff like that. And then when I was in high school, my friend got me into a game of Vampire actually. It was my first tabletop gaming experience. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're making a video game out of that soon, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, another one. And then when we were, I'd say, 22 to 26, somewhere in that range? Yeah, or 22 early, and 26? Or early. early 20s for both of us. We had a friend named James who had, was it Pathfinder or was it 3.5 that we started with? It was 3.5. It was 3.5, yeah. yeah. And then we tried Pathfinder and mm. it really enjoyed that because there was more current games happening at the time in our local area in in Idaho. And we just loved it right off the bat. We were just blown away by the the lack of restraints. Yeah. Coming from video games and being able to, you know, interact with an NPC and say one thing. All of a sudden, you can jump off of someone's roof onto the ground and break your back and get thrown in a well. 
you can do anything you want. <laughs> I suppose that if you, that's what you want to do, <laughs> it is in your role playing experience. Yeah, no, I think just uh, growing up with a lot of video games and things like that, having those boundaries broken with tabletop role playing, like, oh, I can literally do anything. I can decide which bag I want to keep my daggers in and I can you know everything you can go as deep or as weird as you want without any kind of limitations uh so a, a lot of people probably want to know like you do have jobs outside of tabletop gaming and um dungeons and dragons uh so what do you both do for a living probably not quite as as interesting um but I had a background in teaching and curriculum building and video and graphic design and things like that. So all of my uh, very multitudinous skills all added up to being a manager of customer success. So I leave my, lead my department in the company that I work for uh, in a really cool, fun, growing tech environment, which is absolutely fantastic. It fits me so well. And I kind of had a little bit of that same background in curriculum building, learned a little bit about video work and photography, but now I just walk around. <laughs> <laughs> just walking and looking at stuff. I deliver mail and I listen to podcasts all day long while I do it. <laughs> so that's what got me down this path. Eight hours, eight to 10 hours a day. He's just listening to podcasts. Yeah. It's. I actually benefit from it too because he comes home and he tells me everything that he learned that day <laughs> off of the podcast. And you also listen to um, audiobooks and he gets so excited to tell me everything that he learned. And it, I just, I get to learn through him and his podcasts. <laughs> so since you've started the podcast, what's your journey been like? Um, have you found a lot of success? Is it a lot of fun? How are you feeling about it? Well, after we started playing... Dungeons and Dragons quite a bit and joining some groups and learning that whole and just getting deep into it we decided to take it to the next level first by starting to do a little bit of homebrew stuff but our first big adventure was our epic which we did here in Kelowna a little while back and it was a I think we had 34 people there and we did five different tables running at the same time through a story that we kind of created and it was just a lot of fun and we had a lot of help. Yeah, we worked with our local uh, D&D meetup group, uh, OK D&D, and with the, the really talented DMs there and, uh, and a wonderful fellow named Chad, we all worked for essentially what was a year and created this yeah multi-story that all led into one it was like a group churn of a whole bunch of players so it was very deadly and the final players from each table would end up at a central table and it went really well uh it was it was quite popular we had people come drive 10 hours to come and play in some cases so and it, it really did go well because of all of the help that we got because i was i was a sweaty mess that day <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know what i was doing yeah, but we it was, were it was really fun we were a wreck uh yeah and then since then you know we've had uh, many persistent home games we played uh, a couple of campaigns for many years yeah and generally then, twice a week then we couldn't help but start this podcast and that's been you know 
you've you've been part of that journey and everyone that's listening has too so it's a good time that is actually probably the the best part of this whole thing is you know we we got our very first review from a total stranger probably on the second or third episode and somebody wrote in and and said every single thing that we we felt was really important to provide in a podcast and jordan and i just kind of looked at each other and said well shit I guess we're just doing this podcast for this person forevermore because <laughs> that that one review was everything. It just filled our sails like we didn't really know if this was going to be received and it was and it has and we've passed a couple of really cool milestones that we're really excited about and we're we're just stoked that people are enjoying it and sharing it and and yeah, jumping on the bandwagon. Your dedication to this game definitely shines through and and I see that a lot of people are interested in playing you in your games and everyone always asks you both um when's the next epic you know <laughs> we just don't have the time I know it takes a long time um, yeah one yeah. day one day we'll get the epics going again it's really exciting that you guys um are keeping at it and kind of sharing this gift with everyone well thanks has D&D ever helped you in your personal life? Um, has it helped you with any things that you have to had to overcome, helped you at work? Has it helped you at all? Well, I think it's it's something that I really just fell headfirst into. And through Dungeons and Dragons, I've developed a love of storytelling that I never had before. Like I've always enjoyed movies and books and everything like that. But only through this have I been able to delve into building a good story and what's behind it. And also just there's all kinds of psychological things that I've learned about group dynamics and just so many little fun facts that I get to research that apply to Dungeons and Dragons that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. Yeah, and how to be a better storyteller in person and how to uh, how to engage people and hold their attention. And I mean, honestly, this this hobby has so many personal benefits to to anybody that plays it. And it's one of the many reasons why I've wanted to do some kind of after-school kids program through D&D for a long time. Um, one day that maybe that'll happen as well. But, you know, just as as a teenager and as even as an adult, I find it rounds a person out so well in terms of just adding that social ability and and the ability to stay loose and, you know, with the improv aspect and just all of the different facets of D&D make a really interesting person overall. One thing that I have to point out is that you both are very good at uh, talking to people. You're very patient and you're very good at teaching people things. I've noticed that while I've Get, been getting to know you guys for over four years is, you know, a lot of people don't have these skills in the art of conversation and teaching people things, but you, both of you definitely have it. Stop. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. Buttering us up. Stop. Anytime. No. What a good interviewer. Can you, yeah. Can you... <laughs> Let me just set this up so you can knock it down. Uh, no, it, that was unscripted, by the way, just so that everyone knows. Thank you, Rumor. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And But yeah, it, it's it's one of those things. It's just D&D &D players are cool people. <laughs> Y'all are cool. But yeah, it's uh, 
I, I think it just rounds a person out. It makes them really uh, rich and robust. And I think what I love so much about the community of tabletop role-playing gamers is that it's cooperative. Everyone's working together to have a better time at the core of the game. But I think that's represented in the community in every way that I see. Like people are supporting each other. They're encouraging each other. Everyone wants everyone else to be the best they can be. And I love that. Yeah. So you guys produce a lot of um, stories and games and maps and illustrations. Um, is there any D&D media that you love that kind of inspires you or you just love purely for entertainment? So friggin' much. That's what got us started. <laughs> Man, I love listening to good D&D podcasts. I think the first one that I was introduced to was Critical Role. It's one of the biggest by far, and it's done so much for D&D. But I just can't keep up. <laughs> There's so many that I want to listen to. I try my best, but I, I'm pretty behind on the second season now. It's such a, it's such a commitment. Like that's, that's why I have to thank all of our listeners, because to carve any time out like you listen to podcasts constantly yeah and you can't keep up with critical role yeah and so you know if if you listen to critical role and like two others that's like <laughs> that's like six hours a week seven hours a week of listening to podcasts it's a ton it's a ton of listening and so anybody carving any time out for this podcast has my sincere love but an appreciation but there are so many great podcasts out there some of my other absolute favorites are the adventure zone by the McElroy brothers everything they do is hilarious to me acquisitions incorporated is amazing yep absolutely those are like that's pretty much the top three right there and drunks and dragons like those I, four make up the 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 D, &D podcast royalty <laughs> and then some other ones that i really enjoy recently are adventure.exe it's a really solid actual play podcast that's funny and well the story is well told we got session zero that i listened to it's actually hosted by psychologists and it's talking about the yeah the psychology of tabletop role-playing and i really find it fascinating i really i've started that one recently and it's pretty pretty fantastic and then the DM Deep Dive is a good one for interviews. As the name implies, they just get deep into certain subjects around tabletop RPGs as well. And there's other entertainment out there, of course. There's Harmon Quest. Yeah, some of the earlier acquisitions incorporated live play at some of the conventions and stuff like that. It's just awesome to see those, you know, who's who of amazing, uh, amazing D&D &D players. And, Super and, funny. Yeah. In that space. Uh, Fate and the Fable Maidens is one of my new favorites. What's that one about? That one is another live play, but the the women that host it are just hilarious. They're it's like family friendly and it's really earnest and I don't know, it's just fun. I'm gonna have to carve out a lot of time to Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Start listening and, and watching some of these. Um I've I've seen Harmon Quest, but I've listened to only Adventure Zone and I've been kind of excited lately to listen to Critical Role, but scared at the same time to keep <laughs> up because they they produce so much stuff. Yeah. Um but yeah, you you guys will definitely at this point, catching up on Critical Role is my retirement plan. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to retire. 
<laughs> just sit there consuming. Uh, well, I think we've heard enough. Yeah, about us. That's a lot. Of, can we move on? This is getting. <laughs> I'm starting to shy away from this. All right, enough about you guys. Uh, let's go to the strategy stateroom, where we can listen to you again. Yay! <laughs> this is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Okay, in this segment, we talk about planning. Uh, So a lot of DMs will plan ahead and make sure that they're prepared for the games to come. Uh, So what are some things that you do a little bit differently, something unique or maybe something similar to other DMs? Uh, What are some tools that you use? Well, I guess I usually start with a general idea of the story that I want to tell the campaign and then I kind of hone in on the the immediate story after that. Where do you get that from? Like where does the idea come from? A lot of times in the past I've used the pre-written adventures from Dungeons and Dragons, especially the first couple campaigns I've run. We're finally trying a Travis and I are doing a campaign where we're co-DMing and writing the story from scratch and that's really where we've gotten into storytelling and script writing and all that kind of stuff i think we'll have to do a a specific episode on co-dming because there have been a lot of lessons learned yeah i guess the story the general beats of the story that i try to establish is who's the big bad guy in the end um what's the climax gonna look like and then i kind of just create some story beats from there and once i have those those loose story points, I start planning out the first session. Because if I try and get too much more into the campaign planning from there, it's all just going to go off the rails anyways. Yeah. So I I focus in on a session. And every session that I write is kind of a mystery up until the final moments of the session before it. Like I don't plan a session ahead or anything like that because it could change too drastically. So I plan out three to five interactions for a session kind of like we've we've pointed out in our DM checklist. Mm-hmm. And if I'm struggling with what those encounters are going to be, sometimes I go to the five-room dungeon concept presented by John Four. It's kind of neat. Uh, it's just, it gives you some ideas for how to make each encounter unique and not just like combat, 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 combat. Yeah. Uh, so look that up. We'll maybe put it in our show notes. I make sure I've got each NPC that's going to be a part of it detailed out pretty well. And I usually actually use another concept of John Four's three-line NPCs. The first one is a physical description. Second one is a personality. And the third one is kind of their plot hook or what they do for the story. And that's usually all I go with. And the character gets more fleshed out in in in-game. Yeah, because I can't really visualize it till I'm acting it out. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of improvising I've noticed in some of the games. Is it purely improvisation, or are you are you planning that ahead a little bit too? Well, yeah. So I usually have a couple of notes on what their personality is going to be, and sometimes it follows that, but sometimes it goes totally off of that just because I don't think it fits for for what the players are putting out. You'll like switch on the on the moment just because there's there's a different energy coming from the players so now the 
the NPC is going to shift like away from what you'd planned. Yeah, like if I got a super serious NPC and the characters are in kind of a goofball state, I'm going to maybe throw in a personality trait that's really something they can play with rather than, you know, the reserved NPC that I originally planned. And a couple of the things that I make besides that before a session, if I find the time, is a separate list of notes detailing what the party could learn about their ultimate goal or anything else that they're interested in. And I keep that separate and I don't write it into the encounters because then I can reveal it as kind of a result of any successful actions the party takes rather than it's here and if they don't find it, then it's gone forever. Yeah. You keep that running list so it just gets inserted the next time somebody, some NPC is doling out some wisdom or whatever. And yeah, if they shake someone down and they're they're asking them questions, then that NPC knows this. He's not just a empty shell because that's not... Because you the... didn't plan for it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to admit something. I sometimes glance over at the work that you're doing the stuff that you're writing and i have to say i have never seen so much writing and documents on (laughs) what's gonna happen (laughs) but i've never had the chance to actually read it which i would love to someday but sometimes uh, you're trying to hide it from me because i'm playing (laughs) one of those campaigns can't show you my secrets i want the secrets Then I cobble together some maps on roll 20 and I detail out some magic items that might come up in the game as well. And I use the same technique for those as I do information. I don't put them in a specific hidden spot. Yeah. I let players look for stuff and if they do really well, then it's it might be there. Yeah. And that's the basics. The rest is pretty pretty loosey-goosey. Do what I think feels right. Yeah, I think my planning style has some similarities to yours. The only things that I would add on. So I use a small red notebook. It's just like the cheap kind of dollar store notebooks. As long as they'll last for a year, that's all I really need them to do because that's about as far as they'll get. Uh, But I put almost a year and a half long campaign into that one red notebook. And I'll be starting a new one here pretty soon. But... That notebook has lasted so long because I used, for one session, I'll use two pages. I'll use the facing page and then the back of the previous one. And with those two pages, I'll usually work in kind of like a quadrant. So the first quadrant is kind of like the setup and what I want the player, what I want to remind the players of in this session. So location details and things like that so just getting them back into the session and then i'll break each of the the remaining three quarters of the two pages into uh just what i want to do with each one of those kind of three set piece encounters and that could be like a combat encounter or it could be uh it could be a social encounter what have you but generally i find that in a four-hour game i've got about three encounters that I can throw in there. And I've just made a couple of very, very loose, like I use this, I use a shorthand, like an extreme shorthand that looks like the scribblings of a madman. (laughs) Because I don't know if anyone else could really decipher what the hell is going on in there. But kind of your own version of bullet journaling. Yeah. Makes no sense to anyone else. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, I, I lay it all out. 
Um, the only thing that I would probably add to yours, I do very, something very similar to the NPCs as far as like laying out the three points, but I always use a fourth, which is what are my players catching them in the middle of? Because never oh. has there ever been an NPC that was just sitting there waiting for my players to walk up to them. They're always in the middle. If they're a, if they're a general store owner, their son is helping them stock the shelves. If they are a townsperson or a mayor or something like that, they're on their way somewhere. So they do a, a little like, let's, let's do a walk and talk. Yeah. So those kind of things, I think, add a lot of life to the world. And without them, it kind of feels dead and flat. I'm actually curious, uh, who uses the most uh, voices, like different voices for different characters? I, I'd really like to know. I, like, I think I've seen a little bit of it with with you, Travis. Uh, maybe, maybe not as much as Jordan, but no, Jordan definitely has far far more voices. I think Jordan probably excels at the monster voices. And Travis is better at the clever humanoids <laughs> that yeah. are a little more sophisticated. Can you both give me an example? <laughs> I'd really Okay, nice. I'll, I'll throw something at you. Okay. Yeah, set us up. All right. So, Jordan, can you give me an example of a goblin that's hiding in a pile of trash? Hey, do you have a fish? <laughs> hey, you with the horns. Uh, I don't have a fish, by the way. Do you want some? No, I don't want a fish. Where where would you find a fish? In that pile of trash? Thank you. (laughs) Somebody stole my fish This scene has no continuity. (laughs) Okay, okay. Moving on, moving on. Okay, now, Travis, you have to give me an example. Uh, Let's say that you are... You are a captain of a ship, and you are giving directions to your crew. All right, you saucy fucks. Line up. We've got some exploring to do. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so I I definitely make notes on those that kind of demeanor for those NPCs and and you know just how they're going to hold themselves. Uh I make a lot of notes about like triggers for certain NPCs. So ultimately every single group is going to have that one asshole and how does a player react to that? They're, they're, you know, the player is playing this person that will antagonize and things like that. So I've got good, neutral, and bad outcomes for every single NPC. And whether or not, however the players treat that NPC will determine what they follow that with. But I also have those certain triggers. So when somebody gets challenged or or things like that. So that always gets added into those notes as well. Yeah, it's pretty detailed. It's nice to have the time to actually get into that much. Sometimes it's a little rushed. <laughs> I very rarely do. Yeah, but yeah, that's the ideal. That's the ideal, and, and I strive for it. Similar to the different outcome conditions of a particular interaction between an NPC, I'll also have uh, state changes for the middle of a scene. So whether it's a, if it's a combat encounter, 
Um, very similar to, to Gabriel Picard's advice on that episode about, you know, just how does something change in the middle of, of a particular scene? How do the stakes change? All of that kind of stuff. So with, with a combat, it might be the scene changes. If it's an NPC, somebody comes in the middle and delivers some news that might change that potential outcome. If things it, like that. If it's a goblin, he might light himself on fire. <laughs> ah! <laughs> that, you guys uh, covered a lot of great points, and I heard a lot of great advice there. Maybe I'll try DMing one day. Do it. I know. It's so scary, though. It's about damn time. Yeah, but I honestly, I live with two guys that give great advice, so why not? I should DM one day. <laughs> if we can't get rumor to DM, then who can we get? Yeah, we yeah. failed. Just give up already. No, no, definitely. I have been thinking about it, and and I will, and and you probably will probably hear about it. Um, but yeah, a lot of great points, and uh, let's move on to the next segment. This is Morden's Forge, where raw materials are reshaped, honed into tools and weapons with the most incredible quests. sexy voice was that mm. <laughs> wow <laughs> those are some great intros okay Absolutely. Who, did, who did those intros who did those who did they should those? get a promotion She's so talented oh so talented oh my gosh uh so we're gonna take a look at tools props anything you use in the process so hook and chance brothers what tools do you use in the process of your games well I would say in advance that uh, nothing that we discuss here will be any kind of sponsorship. We're not affiliated with uh, <laughs> with any of these. I think the idea behind this whole segment is really just stuff that we love and enjoy and use on the reg. So yeah, I would probably start the the first one with actually the some of the props that we use. The main one being Reaper minis. So. Jordan and I have kickstarted uh is this our third? Yep. Third Kickstarter for Reaper Minis. Uh so we <laughs> drop way too much money all at once and get a huge box. So the Kickstarter is probably the best way to get your hands on an ass ton of miniatures. Yeah. Uh specifically their bones line is actually pretty good to paint. I, I don't mind it. The painting of the plastic miniatures is a little bit trickier. But for the volume and the quality, like, they're really awesome miniatures. They're sturdy. Yeah, they have they have the equivalent of all of the uh, classic D&D monsters. So, like, one of my more elaborate minis that I've completed was the, in the Reaper Bones line, Gormaw. <laughs> and that is very much a purple worm. I just don't think they're allowed to say purple worm because Wizards owns it. Uh, whatever the reason, they have the equivalent of pretty much any D&D monster that you could want. And some a... wildly creative ones of their own. Check out, yeah, it's fun to just scroll through their minis because they're disturbing in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, they make, they have awesome sculpts. Uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased with them. They're really hardy and sturdy. But and... aren't they sort of flexible too? Like, so yeah. if you, you kind of drop it by accident, which does happen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Way too often. Uh, they don't. They don't tend to break. Yeah, and when you buy them in bulk, they're just so cheap. And it's like Christmas morning when oh, they yeah. arrive. I'm I'm still waiting on the newest batch to arrive. It'll be here any day now. 
Seriously, you should see Travis's face when he's like, oh my God, they arrived. <laughs> they finally arrived. Uh, and then the other one would be Hero Forge. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a fun one. Yeah. Because you get to customize what you like. I very much like it. So entertaining to make minis on there. If anyone doesn't know, it's a website where, yeah, you can go on and use their character building software, basically, that you can make a mini completely online and then order it right to your door. And they've got so many options. You can make whatever you want. You can move their limbs. You can customize everything about it. And we had ordered minis back. Oh, boy, they'd probably their site had probably been live for maybe three months. And we were ordering minis. And since then, they have come so, so far. Like, their their print quality is way better now. Um, they have custom posing. Like, you can switch the grip now. Like, you can change the, the way your character grips the sword and, and their pose. You can completely customize. So, they've come a long way and they've added a ton of parts recently. They're doing, like, weekly... Uh, weekly parts updates yeah so adding new new options every single week we've got a lot of them yeah i think we've well at this point all of our players in the new in our newest campaign are talking about ordering all of their own custom minis and i've reordered custom minis that i'd ordered a long time ago just because the quality has gotten so much better but just don't order a mini for a character that's about to die Oh my god, this is nothing more tragic than ordering a mini and then you're like a week later that that mini's dead. Or maybe you really like that character and you frame it on the wall and then you say rest in peace. Well, that's what we're going to have to do to your last character, Jordan, because you got that mini after the, the campaign, campaign had wrapped. Because I'm an idiot and I don't know how time works. That was uh, Angen. The... How time do that? What was that? Angen the Barbarian? The Goliath Rogue. Oh, or... Goliath Rogue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so map making is the next step, which we use Roll20, which is a super popular online map making tool. To be fair, I begrudgingly use Roll20. I don't mind it, but I would... So I, I rock a, a Microsoft Surface. And I much prefer to hand draw or at least hand customize my maps. So I use Gabriel Picard's map packs that we purchased on Roll20, which you use on Roll20 for the most part. Yeah. And I like to pull it into a software called Mischief, uh, which is a free software. And uh, yeah, basically just like custom make all of my map parts uh, right on my surface. So it's, it's more of an art program. It's a vector art program but it's really easy to use with those map assets. That's for people that got that artistic streak in them. And want to spend a ridiculous amount of time. Yeah, that's true. I would say Roll20 is on the whole probably quicker, but I like the customization of Mischief. Yeah. And that I can just, whatever I can, whatever I want to do, I can do. The Roll20, one of the reasons I love it is just that you can plop all the pieces you want in there. And then you can, like we have the TV that we project our maps onto. Yeah. So I can have the player version on the TV and then I've got the DM version on my laptop that works really well. Totally. And yeah, like we said, we use Gabriel Picard's maps almost exclusively when we were buying maps. So all of his sets, there's a ton of them on Roll20. And uh, and the nice thing is that if you buy them there, you can also download them. So that's how I use them on Mischief. 
And then we're also patrons of Dynamic Dungeons because we do, like you said, Jord, we have that virtual tabletop TV and holy shit, having moving animated backgrounds is next level. Like They're amazing, yeah. The challenge there is that you have to write your story to include the background <laughs> that Dynamic Dungeons has, has produced, but the payoff... When, yeah, your whole table of players is just blown away. And it it's so cool because it looks like a static map unless you're paying attention where you can see clouds slowly drift over the virtual table and you're like, oh, whoa, wait, what? And then, yeah, you can see a bird flap past or or a, a flag blowing in the breeze and you're like, oh, wow, this is actually animated. Like it's very subtle and perfectly done. Have we? Have you experienced any of those rumors? I think you guys had one game where we were, I guess, in a cave and there was flowing water. I remember one specifically. Oh, yeah. Other than that, I was dreaming. A very good dream. <laughs> <laughs> Which is possible. <laughs> it's possible. But yeah, it's it's actually, it's really cool, the transition. I've, I've played with these guys since they were using um, that... What do you call it? Just that that map. Battle map? Yeah. The battle map that you use wet markers on, the wet... Wet erase. Wet erase markers, which were sort of frustrating because if we were too tired to wipe it off, it would be uh, stuck on there. Stained forevermore. It would be stained forever and then Travis would get angry with us. (laughs) (laughs) You have the witch's hut just ingrained into the map and it's never coming out again yeah and then you also have that problem of like oh i want like we didn't finish with this environment so we're gonna have to redraw it next week or just let it get stained into the map yeah do you guys save time with just having the screen or oh hell yes yeah yeah Hundred like, percent. oh here let's pop up this map here and the maps are so much like i i I cannot imagine going back to not having a virtual tabletop screen, which I know is a, like a bougie as fuck thing to say. We're <laughs> uppity a-holes. Nope. Uppity assholes. But I mean, I'm glad I put the work into building that table because we spend more time than we do a lot of other things. <laughs> yeah. Every single week sitting at that table. So it was just, it was such a good investment for me. We'll have to build uh, more of a portable one that we can travel with. Mm-hmm. So the next part that we kind of get to is, I think, kind of setting the scene just before the game. So we've built the maps, and then it's like time to immerse people. And again, this is where the high-tech toys come, come in. Uh, by the way, if you want to get your hands on a lot of this stuff, just get a job at Best Buy. <laughs> the discounts <laughs> are worth it. <laughs> Um, because I have hue lights in our dungeon room. Um, every so, room, actually. Yes. Okay. <laughs> every every room has hue lights, but the dungeon room specifically has some really killer hue lights and custom scenes. So for those of you that might not be familiar with hue, Philips hue, they're basically just smart lights. You can get LFX lights. You can get all kinds of different smart lights out there. I just like the Hue ecosystem because there's a lot of really cool other apps that you can get that work with Hue. They're really developer friendly. So there seems to be just a multitude of, of neat apps. With those Hue lights before a game, I'll go through and take a, and grab like a photo of a vibe that I'm going for. 
So it might be a dank sewer. So I'll find some like concept art for a, a disgusting sewer. And then I'll just upload that into the Hue app. And it's, it samples all of the lights from everywhere and creates a, a custom scene for that dungeon. And for those that aren't into all the tech stuff like me, that means color changey lights. <laughs> Very simply, color changey lights. It's really neat. Yeah, it, it definitely adds that, that aspect. I think that's one of our current players' favorite, like their very first experience with D&D. They say that it spoiled them from the get-go because their first, like I started with a thunderstorm. So I used a Hue app that had not only thunderstorm sound effects, but the lights in the entire room were like cracking and brightening up and then going super dark and then i had the sound effects so the sound effects i use you've used other products haven't you jordan yeah i've i've dabbled in youtube channels that do certain sound effects i've used a few different products but keep coming back to tabletop audio because they keep improving and it's it's really impressive what you can do with that the custom soundboards i think like i've tried a couple of other custom soundboard things this is the same product that you hear us say thanks for at the end of every episode uh, because Tabletop Audio, we did all of the sound effects for the segment intros. And it's crazy easy. Yeah. Because if you set up a custom sound pad, so Tabletop Audio does really elaborate, amazingly choreographed and curated soundscapes. Sometimes they have like background adventure music sometimes they don't but there's specific tracks that you can play and you can just play on repeat and they sound really really good they have a they have a very natural soundscape that only an audio designer can really create they sound like they should be in a movie but if you really want super control they have custom sound pads that allow you to just add whatever sound effect you want in there and put certain ones on delays so they repeat every 30 seconds or every minute. Um, you can set the audio levels of all of them and they just keep adding more. So the wonderful gentleman that runs Tabletop Audio has a tremendous taste in, in audio effects. So that's the one that we use and love. Good job there. What else do you use? Like you, you play all these amazing audio clips, but what do you play them on? Well, we've got... A pretty neat little speaker system down there, too, in the dungeon. We use a Bose portable speaker um, as well as the Sonos speakers that you have. Yeah, the the Bose has enough oomph to, I think, fill that space pretty well. I'm looking to to get the Sonos down there because I have Sonos upstairs. And eventually I'd like to get Sonos downstairs because I have curated Google playlists that... You know, when Jordan's listening to a podcast while he's working, I can't do that and do my job and think at the same time. <laughs> so I can't listen to podcasts, but what I can listen to are film scores and all that kind of stuff. So I have probably two dozen curated playlists that have, you know, an elven feel or a dwarven feel or a combat feel or Attention like a tavern. Feel. Yeah. What do you what like do you look in a genre specifically to find those playlists or No, no, I like I've made every single one of You've those made, playlists. Oh, okay. But I just listen to film scores and then when I 
I like a particular track and I go, oh, that has a bit of an Elven feel. So then I'll just switch tabs while I'm working and then add that to a certain playlist. You don't work. You just do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I how I create those playlists. So that's why I want to get a Sonos speaker downstairs is just so that I can do that. I can sign up for, you know, the, there's lots of different uh, services you can use. You know, you can use Google Play Music. You can use Spotify. But just having those Sonos speakers that you can stream constantly and not have to like Bluetooth to your phone or anything else like that. So what else do you use to play your games? Any props? Like we've talked about maps. We've talked about uh, setting the scene. We've talked about minis. Um, Is there anything else that people could use or that you use specifically that really enhance the game? I think the few other things that we use are more around saving time in gameplay because we don't want to like be slowed down by looking things up or things like that so we've got some of the spell cards that wizards of the coast puts out which are pretty pretty handy and nice to use as well as the monster cards for the dm side oh yeah those those monster cards are probably one of the best purchases we've made in recent memory because the monster manual is great but we had one of those probably earlier editions and i think wizards of the coast had some problems with the glue that they bound some of those books with you couple that with just the immense amount of time that you spend using that book also i uh did have a session with my friends on the beach that i took that monster manual to specifically you rat (laughs) bastard it got a little moistened that's why it fell apart (laughs) by the sea okay never mind i take it back wizards (laughs) i'm sorry that's the one that's in the binder yeah oh gosh yeah well yeah i took every page out and tried to put it in a three-ring binder but (laughs) it kind of fell apart god damn it (laughs) (laughs) so anyways the monster cards are great great the monster cards are great brothers are not (laughs) maybe we should get them laminated (laughs) Yeah, probably. No, they they do have a, a kind of a nice waterproof lamination aesthetic feel on on top. So they're they're pretty hardy cards. Yeah, and it's way easier before the game starts to just quickly whip through all of your monster cards and go. I need this one, this one, this one, this one for this session. Grab the minis for them. Yeah, and you're off to the races. You don't have to like keep flagging a spot in the monster manual. To me. The monster manual shouldn't even exist. It should just be monster cards because they make that much more sense when you're using them in game. Yeah. And then for anything else, we've got the we've got all the physical books for reference. And our one of our recent additions to our toolkit has been the diehard dice, which I love metal dice that they make. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're they have such a satisfying role. Um, and then I think just for all of their other products too, like there's lots of different dice companies out there. And I think a lot of even other dice companies that make metal dice. So what they have in terms of like dice options, they've got some really cool colors and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, the only reason we keep talking about diehard dice is because, and the reason we keep ordering from them is because their customer service is just awesome. Like we've had friends that have that have gotten extra dice in their bags. They we've gotten handwritten notes from them many times. Like they're just 
they're stellar. Yeah. I'm pretty jealous of your dice, by the way, and I think I'm going to buy some green ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. have got some great options. I've yeah. seen them. I want them. <laughs> and just with the padded rolling trays that we have in our table, they just, they sound and they feel so nice to just roll, especially the metal ones. Like, you will mess up a table with those metal <laughs> ones. So we have custom little rolling trays in, built into the table. They, Yeah, they do come with the, the lid and the foam inside, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The, the tin that they come in, the metal dice come in, actually has uh, some foam that allows you to use that as a dice tray, which is also just perfect. It, it works just fine. So you're not that guy that goes to your friends with a glass coffee table <laughs> just... <laughs> and just whips them at the table Smash! on purpose and smashes them. And I mean, I'm not sure you would smash like a tempered glass coffee table. I would. But a wood... <laughs> sure. <laughs> but wood tables will not stand up to these metal dice you will put dents all through them yeah and that's that's our toolkit i think that yeah. about wraps it up i'm sure i'm sure it will expand and i'm sure we'll talk about it again at some point but that's kind of where we're at right now with all of the tools and tips and tricks that we got i hope i did a good job hosting and asking questions this was a first for me. We will let the listeners decide whether or not you come back. Your fate <laughs> is in their hands. Please like me, please. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks so much, Rumor, for interviewing us. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Hope it was fun. We I had hope fun. This, yeah, I hope this was a good episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It wasn't too weird that we were having ourselves interviewed on our own <laughs> podcast, but it... It just made sense to to us to let you know who the hell you're you've been listening to in hey, general. If I was on the other end of it, I'd want to know a little bit more about you guys before you give me advice. That's fair. Couple of bozos, couple of jackasses that don't know what the hell they're talking about. Couple of dingle shits just <laughs> babbling their mouths. Couple of crazed baboons. Yep. All right. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we had a great time having rumor on the show thank you very much to tabletop audio for the sound effects that you heard on this show take a look at what we're doing on twitter facebook instagram discord and reddit if you want to reach out to us in any of those places don't forget to check out hookandchance.com where you can also find our social media and uh, podcasts as well and everywhere at hook and chance a-n-d hook and chance so thanks for listening and play great games if you're vulnerable to psychic damage stay away from these gibbering what mouths. is happening <laughs> are we in it am i in the matrix we're starting uh, over again everyone from the top <laughs> practice makes perfect